Hi, and welcome to this Pitsy Pod episode. Today we talk about Saint Andrew. As you'll see, he's the patron saint of many places around the world. We're going to focus on Scotland and their story because we have a lot of information on the subject. As you undoubtedly noticed, not all topics here are Canadian, but I am. I'm Rosie. I'm a Francophone from Canada, and this is my podcast. Time for some history, eh? So the idea of patron saints are to be special protectors or maybe guardians over things or peoples or countries or cultures. And when it comes to St. Andrew becoming the patron saint of Scotland, it's actually a little bit blurry. There are a lot of folk tales, there are a lot of stories, and historians of course disagree on some of these. So we're going to go through them and you get to choose your side. So according to Christian teachings, St. Andrew was actually one of Jesus Christ's 12 disciples. His brother was Simon Peter, who Christians today will say was the first pope of the Roman Catholic Church. They were both fishermen in Galilee, which is now modern-day Israel, and they met Jesus and became his disciples. So considering he's one of the first to join Jesus, we actually don't know much about him. There's very few incidences recorded of the time he preached, and there's no recorded miracles which usually is attached to sainthood. So it seems as though Andrew lived a really simple life. After the crucifixion of Jesus, Andrew took the message to the people, and he spread the word around the shores of the Black Sea and then throughout Greece and Turkey. Eventually, he was stopped, and they wanted to crucify him. He was sentenced to death by crucifixion also. According to some sources, Andrew did not feel worthy to be crucified on a T-shaped cross like Jesus, and instead, he was tied on an X-shaped cross on the 30th of November, year 60, in Greece. Now, we have a little bit of a hole in history, and his body was entombed about 300 years later in 340 or 357, according to St. Jerome records. And Andrew's relics, which, by the way, that means bones, were taken from Patras to Constantinople by the command of the Roman emperor, Constantine II. And according to legend, a Greek monk called either Saint Rule or Saint Regulus in Latin was warned by an angel in a dream that Constantine was going to move the relics and this angel told him to take it, quote unquote, to the ends of the earth to keep them safe. The monk actually managed to take a tooth, an arm bone, a kneecap, and some fingers from St. Andrew's tomb, and he took them away as far as he could. In those days, Scotland was probably the end of the known world, so St. Rule headed that way, according to records. It was in Scotland that St. Rule ended up getting shipwrecked off the Fife coast, and a Pictish settlement was there when he came ashore to what would now be St. Andrew's. So a lot of people consider this legend to be false, and they say that the relics of St. Andrew probably got to Britain in 597 by St. Augustus, and then in 732 to Fife by the Bishop Acca of Hexham, and he was a well-known collector of religious relics. Nonetheless, in 726, the ruler of the area, Angus McFergus, 
had to do battle with the Dal Riata and he prayed for victory. So according to legend again, in the middle of the battle, McFergus actually saw a white X-shaped cross in the bright blue sky and he knew that Andrew was going to be taking care of him. This led him to attribute the war victories to St. Andrew and then he founded the church in the borough of St. Andrew. He added the relics and then he also attributed St. Andrew as the patron saint of his country. But some records suggest that St. Andrew wasn't actually adopted as the patron saint until the year 1000. So there is some controversy between the traditionalists and the historians regarding when this actually happened, but the fact remains that pilgrims devoutly visited St. Andrew's shrine throughout the centuries. For example, in the 11th century, Scotland's Queen Margaret actually encouraged the pilgrimages Two ferry services opened across the Firth of Forth and there were hostels on each side that could cater to the guests. In 1138, the little church that was built from wood, mud, and turf was actually replaced by the Grand Cathedral, which was known as the St. Andrew's Cathedral. The town around also changed its name and became St. Andrew's. So St. Andrew's Cathedral became the center of the Catholic Church in Scotland. The earliest known account of St. Andrew would be in 1165 with the register of St. Andrew. And then the St. Andrew's cross was used in Scotland as a religious but not a national emblem on the seal of the chapter of St. Andrew's Cathedral in about 1180. And from then on, St. Andrew's was used on all official seals in Scotland, sometimes with the lion rampart, which was the heraldic symbol of the Scottish crown. After Constantinople was sacked in the Fourth Crusade, the relics at Constantinople were taken to the Cathedral of St. Andrews at Amalfi in Italy. In 1208, St. Andrew's body was given place of honor in the city of Amalfi. According to sources, the archbishop and the cardinal preached, they lifted the casket to show people, and then they showed the relics inside. Afterwards, they buried the relics into portions, and the skull was placed in a less accessible location. Eight years later, Pope Honorius III asked the Amalfi Cathedral to release the relics. They said that they didn't know where they had been buried. In those days, relics tended to be moved around and then traded between the churches, almost like a currency. So some of the relics ended up in Rome, they returned to Patras, and then they went towards the Greek Orthodox Church. In 1254, there was another seal, the seal of the Bishop Gamelin, who was the chaplain to Alexander II and the Chancellor of Scotland. And now in 1286, we have the first known appearance of the figure of St. Andrews used as a national emblem. So the seal of the Guardians of Scotland, who was appointed on the death of Alexander III, actually shows Andrew on his X-shaped cross, surrounded by Latin words that are a little bit chipped. So most scholars agree that it says something along the lines of Andrew, the leader of the compatriot Scots. This seal of the Guardians of Scotland was used to authenticate legal documents and communications. Jumping ahead to the 13th and 14th century wars of independence, Scotland fought against the English because they wanted to be seen as an independent kingdom. So Pope Boniface instituted a papal bull in 1299 and he asked Edward I of England to end the war against Scotland and reminded Edward that Scotland was converted and had the unity of Christian faith and they had the relics of the Apostle Andrew. In 1318, it was noted that St. Andrew's Cathedral was still a very popular medieval pilgrimage site. 
and it was the largest church in Scotland. If we move to the Declaration of Arbroath in 1320, it says that St. Andrew is the first to be an apostle. This declaration is written in Latin, but there's some really good English translations if you're interested in reading it. At the time, it was sent to the Pope by King Robert the Bruce and the Scottish noblemen. They stated that they wished to be peaceful, free men. They wanted to be independent of the English rule. Many consider this to be one of the most important documents signed, being that it was the first ever declaration of independence by any nation, and it contains very advanced ideas in the area of nationhood and kingship. And it also refers to St. Andrew, which is really interesting. In 1385, the Scottish Parliament decreed that every man fighting for the Scots would have the white St. Andrew's cross on his jacket. So essentially, it was the saltire, which is that X-shaped cross that was the badge of the Scots. And when it came to coins, it was in 1390 that St. Andrew first appeared as a national symbol on a five-shilling piece that was minted during the reign of Robert III. And at some point in the 15th century, it is said that St. Andrew's relics were taken to Rome and they were enshrined in St. Peter's Basilica. Interestingly, the navy was at its height during the reign of James IV of Scotland, and their flagship, called the Great Michael, which was built in 1511, was considered to be one of the greatest ships of the time. And in 1513, they spent so much money on the main standard for the ship. The flag on the ship appeared to have the St. Andrew's cross on a blue background, as well as the red and yellow with the royal badges of the red lion and the white unicorn. As many of you know, the union of the crowns was in 1606, when James VI of Scotland became James I of England, and he combined St. Andrew's white saltire on the red of St. George's cross to create essentially the British flag that was known as the Union flag. And in 1707, the act of union between England and Scotland required a new flag, and Queen Anne decided to continue with James's design. In the 16th century, Scotland was in the middle of the Reformation. There was bloodshed and many artifacts were destroyed. The reformers actually wanted to stamp out what they called Papist idolatry. So they smashed and defaced many Catholic images, relics, icons, and lots of things in medieval churches. Somewhere along that point, some of the relics were most likely destroyed. In 1801, the cross of St. Patrick from Ireland was added to the Union flag. And that's the flag you might recognize today, the flag of the United Kingdom. In 1879, the Archbishop of Amalfi sent a piece of St. Andrew's shoulder blade to help reestablish the Roman Catholic Church in Scotland. And then in 1969, Pope Paul VI donated more relics to Scotland. Now you might wonder why St. Andrew's Day is celebrated in Scotland. Funnily enough, it didn't actually start in Scotland. In 1729, some wealthy Scottish immigrants living in the United States created St. Andrew's Society of Charleston in South Carolina. Apparently, this is one of the oldest Scottish society of its type, and they became famous in their region for all the work they did assisting the orphans and the widows of the area. Eventually, Scotland joined in and started celebrating November 30th. So a big part of this celebration in Scotland is food. Some of the traditional dishes might include cullen skink, haggis, lamb, neeps and tatties. Apparently they also have kaleys, which are get-togethers with music, and they might do dancing and storytelling. 
And now you might wonder, St. Andrews is the patron saint of Scotland, but what does he represent? Because it seems as though all saints have a function. So his sainthood is to help fishermen, fishmongers, rope makers, singers, pregnant women. And he's also said to offer protection against sore throats and gout. He's not just the patron saint of Scotland, as I had mentioned in the intro. He's the patron saint of Romania, Russia, Ukraine, Poland, Barbados, Greece, Italy, Malta, Portugal. And another cool tidbit is he's the patron saint of the U.S. Army Rangers. In Romania, their celebrations center around St. Andrews being the protector of wolves. And in Russia, it was in 1698 with Tsar Peter the Great who honored St. Andrew by creating the Order of St. Andrew the Apostle, the first called, which is the highest order of chivalry in the Russian Empire. It was only awarded for the most outstanding military or civilian merit. I hope you enjoyed learning about St. Andrews. Now it helps me understand, and it might help you understand, why so many people celebrate the patron saint of Scotland, and more interestingly, how he became their patron saint. Of course, as you heard, some of the things we're not quite sure, but it's still really interesting to read. Thanks for listening to the Pitsy Pod. Don't forget, you can find me on social media, at History A. You can also rate me on iTunes. Apparently it helps my name get on search lists, so I appreciate all the help you can give towards that. And I'd like to thank my husband, Jamie, my brood of kids, my family, my friends, and everybody that's helped me adventure through history. Un grand merci.